thank you for uh, just the opportunity to serve you here in Haiti. Well, I'll see your name. Amen. When I seen last year's video, when they went the last time, I knew that it was my time to go. I made up my mind right then when I went last year, I'd be back any time and every time I had a chance. I mean, it's just a standing call for me to go to Haiti as long as I'm breathing. After having been in Haiti once, uh, it was really hard for me to leave last year. Um, I remember just feeling this emptiness and um, the only thing that really kept me going was the fact that I knew that we were going to go again. Uh, it was already decided while we were there that we were going to make a commitment and would go again. And so this year, uh, there wasn't any hesitation at all. You know, I knew that a group was going to go and God willing, I was going to be part of that second group. It just blew my mind. I mean, here we sit in our comfortable environment in our uh, recliners watching our TV and these people are having to pick up after a massive earthquake and they do it with a smile on their face. I've seen people picking up trash where we would walk over it and they done it for the love of their country. The people were amazing. I thought I was prepared to, um, for the poverty in Haiti. Um, I'd lived in the Philippines for a number of years and stayed in Southeast Asia for many years, and I'd seen poverty. And so whenever I first went, that didn't enter my mind that that would be um, have any shock value. Whenever I got there, it did. Um, the earthquake was devastating, and... I had never been a place that was in total ruin like it was there. Um, seeing the people living in tents, uh, watching them take debris and build houses even in the middle of the median. Um, I, when I first got there, I felt really overwhelmed at the poverty and, and what I saw. And so I think I did have a real shock the first time. The most meaningful thing all week is uh, church was great. The orphanage, everything was so great. And, and there's so many meaningful things happening this trip that it's hard to make, it's hard to narrow that down to one, but it's probably the little boy at the orphanage. When, uh, he was just throwing a fit, crying and bawling and squalling, and nobody could please him. The other girls there that lived there with him every day, they would try to pick him up, and he didn't want them. He'd scream louder. And I reached down and picked him up, and he hushed. Just like that, an instant. And that was it. He sat in my lap the rest of the hour or so we were there until I got ready to leave, and then he cried when they took him away from me. It was, it was really weird. I had a connection, for sure, there with him, and it, it'll melt your heart. That, that was probably my most meaningful moment of this trip. I had a, a young man ask me at the orphanage. He was an older young man, and in his 
broken English and my zero Creole, he wanted to make sure I knew Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I kind of went, in my mind, I'm thinking, isn't that my line? You know, isn't that my line? I mean, did I not come here to do that? And what really came home to me was is that, you know, we're not going to take God to Haiti. We may find him there, but you're really not going to take God to Haiti. The people that we were around knew it in a personal way, in a, a depth that we don't really understand. So for me, it's always a spiritual experience, and I always feel like whenever I get back that I'm changed in ways that I'll never be the same person that I was whenever I went. The main thing I, I think about is the people who saw us the second time. The, the, their eyes would light up, and if they could speak English, they would say, you came back. And, and if they couldn't speak English, they would say something to a translator, and the translator would turn to us and say, we can't believe you came back. And, and to see that in their faces was worth the trip.
I would I would go back tomorrow if if I was allowed to. I would go back twice a year if I was allowed to. I felt like it was a second home. The people I felt more love there than I ever felt in the United States. And it was just the grace of God. Uh, I think I even mentioned to someone, you know, if I get too old that I can't sling concrete and that's what's needed, I'll get in the empty bucket line. Uh, so I'm going to go back as long as I have breath and uh, believe that it's God's will, then I'll continue to go back as long as I can. I'm going back. Not will I, it's a matter of when. I'm going back and going back and going back again. It's a, it's like a second home. That's all there is to it. I miss the people and the whole thing about it. When you ever think you could go and stay in the accommodations we do and take the cold showers we do and ready to come home when you want it, when you, and then when you get home, you're ready to go back. So, sure, I'll go back. I can't wait. And I intend to go as long as I have breath. Like, um, some others on our trip. We, we scheduled the next trip before we even got off of this trip and we'll probably schedule the next trip before we get off the off of it and uh, we just we want to keep going back. Um, the country is beautiful but not nearly as beautiful as the people and, and the hearts of the people. Um, I feel I feel close to them even though I can't speak the language and someday I'm, I intend to learn that language. Um, but I want to go back and I want them to know that I will keep coming back as long as I have breath and as long as God allows me to. to take at least 20 people. Um, I'd like to take more. Um, in order to get your name on the list, now it goes up to $300. Uh, $100 deposit that was already due and uh, $200 is going to be due this month. We're going to have an informational meeting two weeks from today, the 15th, right here in this room. I'll give you a packet of information about what you need, types of shots you need, all of that type of stuff. But if you're interested in going, let us know. The cost is going to be around $1,400. We still haven't signed a contract on the air uh, fare because we're trying to get the lowest air fare possible. But if you're interested in going, let us know. If you can't go, you can certainly help someone else go. Uh, we've had lots of people go that, that have, have had zero money in their pocket, but um, someone else has, has caught the vision and helped them to go financially. So uh, we want to keep going back. July 14th is the day that we are uh, flying out. And we'll be back on the 20th. We fly out on a Saturday, come back on, I mean, fly out on a Saturday, come back on a Friday. Yes, the 20th of July. So let me know. There's a sign-up sheet out back if you're interested in going. All right. Now, what I want to do on this very first day uh, of the new year is I want you to look back at the old year. I want you to look back at 2011. I want to ask you a very important question. And the very important question is this. How was 2011 for you spiritually? And I'm willing to bet that you fall into one of three categories. And these are on your listening guide. And I'm going to ask you to identify which category best describes your 2011 spiritually. The first one is spiritually apathetic. 
Some of you, when you look back, you can see that God was not a priority for you last year. Uh, you didn't think much about him. Church was not a priority. Prayer was more of a last resort. And then only when you were in deep, deep trouble. I mean, last resort type thing. Not the first thought that comes to mind. Apathy means when you examine your time, your talents, your money, your energy, where that went over the last year. Apathy means God, church, did not make your top ten. Second category, spiritually inconsistent. The inconsistent folks can look back at 2011, they go, man, there are times that, that the Bible was real to me. There were times that the Word of God was very important to me. There were times that I would pray and I felt like I was communing with God's Son Himself. There were times that, that uh, small group just was very powerful in my life. Serving was powerful. The, the, the church was very, very important to me. And then stuff happened. And, and there was this swing of the pendulum. And there are other times this last year that, that you just were far from God. And, and reading the Bible was an effort. And it was dry. And praying, uh, if you did pray, you felt like your prayers didn't get past the ceiling. And it was just, it was this whole year of ups and downs. So it was very, very inconsistent for you. Third category is spiritually alive. And, and by this, I don't mean that you're out there thumping your chest saying you are better than other people because if you, if you think you are, you're not in the kingdom of God. When you think you're humble, you're not. When you think you've arrived, you haven't. But what I mean is when you read the Bible, it was as if God was meeting you in the Bible. When you prayed, it's like God would speak to you and you would hear answers. And, and you, would, um, uh, you could feel God in your week through Bible prayer circumstances, through other Christians, you were experiencing God on a regular basis. You couldn't wait to get to church on Sunday, not because church was the only time you had had any communion with God, but because it was the culmination of the other six days of the week when you had private worship and you couldn't wait to get together with other believers so that on Sunday mornings it was this expression of your love of God with other believers and you just couldn't wait to get here. That's what I mean by spiritually alive. So what I want you to do is I want you to look at those three and I want you to put an X. Whichever one best describes you from last year. All right? That means you look down at your piece of paper and you put an X. People are looking at me. All right. Just, just checking. Now, I want you to be very, very honest. And I'm not going to try to embarrass anybody at all. But here's what I'm going to ask. If you were in category one or two, I'm going to combine them so nobody will know for sure which one you're in. If you were in category one or two last year, let me see your hand. Raise them, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. Now, look around. Everybody look around. This is not to cast stones at all. I just want you to realize how many people are in category one or two. Okay, you can put them down. Now, let me ask you, was it your goal last year to be spiritually apathetic or spiritually inconsistent? Was that one of your stated New Year's resolutions? I just, I just want to be far from God on a regular basis. I want to have these wild swings spiritually. Was that one of your goals? No. Nobody planned to be in those categories last year, but we have an enemy. We talked about this back uh, in November when we were doing um, our series um, about Twisted, about how there's an enemy who wants to twist the truth and get you far from God before you even know you're there. And so you have this enemy who has distracted you. And we've got to do something differently in 2012 if we don't want to end this year just like we ended last year. Now, I can't ask you if you were in category three because then you'd lose your reward. So you just sit there and, and you just enjoy the fact that you were spiritually alive last year. If you want this year to be different, the Bible tells us how. 
And the key is in Matthew 6, 33. It says, seek the kingdom of God. What? Seek the kingdom of God. What? Seek the kingdom of God. What? There we go. You're alive in 2012. Happy New Year. Woo. Seek the kingdom of God first. Oh, and then there's a second key. And live righteously. Two things. And then God will give you everything you need. Seek first the kingdom of God. Most Christians know this verse, but most Christians do not do this verse. Today we're going to look at four areas where if you will put God first... I can promise you that your 2012 will be better than 2011. I can even predict that if you put God first in these four areas, that that you will have the best year ever spiritually of your life. I'm not predicting that you'll have a perfect life. I'm not predicting that your bank account will suddenly have all kinds of funds spilling over. I'm not predicting that all your dreams will come true because I can't predict that. But I am saying if you will seek the kingdom of God first... In these four areas, I can promise you when we sit here next year, you're more likely to be in the alive category than in the inconsistent or the apathetic category. First thing, first of the day, seek God. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about this at all. I don't want you to roll over one morning and have to go to the bathroom. You go to the bathroom and then you go, oh, no, I didn't seek God. Or, you know, your alarm goes off, you roll over, you turn it off, and you go, Ah, I'm going straight to hell because I turned my alarm off. I'm so sorry. No, I don't want to be legalistic, but I can tell you this. You are the sum total of your habits. And if you were inconsistent spiritually or apathetic spiritually, your habits were as well. Does that make sense? You didn't put God first. And so it's real easy to predict that. Now, There's a basic principle of following Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to act like Jesus, if you want to think like Jesus, you have to spend time like Jesus. That's how he begins, spend time with him. That's how he begins to transform you to be like him, is you spend time with him. David in the Old Testament, David was a man after God's own heart. He wrote most of the Psalms. He was a guy who knew how to worship. Look what he says in Psalm 5.3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. Now, this seems to indicate that it's in the morning that he seeks God. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. So it seems to indicate that early in the morning, he sought after God. Now, not only that, not only did he lay his requests out there, look at Psalm 143, 8 through 10. This is also David. David says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. Okay, he says, in the morning I lay out my request, but here he says, let me hear of your unfailing love. So it indicates that not only does he talk to God, because most of us talk to God, but very few of us listen. We're very uncomfortable with silence, aren't we? In our ADD culture, where we can't even go six and a half minutes watching TV without a commercial interrupting it, they, they actually write for... Crazy people like us who can't keep an attention span for more than six and a half minutes. They write stories like that. David says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord. For I I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. So David says, I'm going to lay my request before you. I'm going to wait, and then I'm going to ask you, God, to show me even the steps that I'm supposed to take. 
And he's going to do it on a daily basis. This is a habit in David's life. But not only that, let's transfer to the New Testament. The Son of God, Jesus, in Mark one thirty-five, it says, Very early in the morning... Is that one frozen up? I heard that sound. Okay. Um, having some technical difficulties. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, this indicates also, and you'll read this several times in the New Testament, Jesus was often sneaking off to a lonely place so that he could pray to his heavenly Father. If the Son of God needed time with God the Father on a regular basis, alone, without any interruptions, don't you think you and I need it even more? Does that not make sense? So, I want you to figure out a plan. If you do not have a plan, you will fail spiritually. You've got a plan to grow spiritually or you're not going to grow spiritually. And again, I don't want you to be legalistic, but what I do... I get up, I have a cup of coffee. Um, I usually watch the weather and I usually watch ESPN's top 10. I've been doing that since ESPN came on. I've been watching the top 10. It's my favorite part of it. Don't care about the rest of it, but I like the top 10. I love Friday when it's the not top 10. That's one of my favorites. But I usually watch just a little bit of TV, drink my coffee, maybe have some toast, and then I open up the Bible and I read a section of the Bible and then I have my commentary and I read that as well. Now, that's my plan. I'm not saying that needs to be your plan. Many of you have smartphones or you have iPods or iPads or anything like that. You can get something called the version Bible and carry it with you. I have that on here as well. And mine, I actually downloaded the version, and then I have um, my daily devotional is the Life Application Bible. Here it is for today. This is how much time it would take you to eat just a little bit spiritually each day. What is the purpose of life? It is that we should... Revere the all-powerful God. To revere God means to respect and stand in awe of Him because of who He is. Purpose in life starts with whom we know, not what we know or how good we are. It is impossible to fulfill your God-given purpose unless you revere God and give Him first place in your life. That's the little discussion, and the verse is Ecclesiastes 3.14, which says, And I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear Him. That took less than a minute for me just to spend a little bit of time. Sometimes I'm sitting in the deer stand. I've seen Jack this year in the deer stand. I'll pull out my little Bible and I'll have a little devotional there with God. And I'll say, maybe this is the purpose for me seeing nothing, is that I can spend a little bit of time with you today, God. There's even an an alarm that you can put on here. I had to... Turn it off so it wouldn't go off during the sermon. But every day, if, if you, you can set the time and it reminds you to go and read the Bible. And then it tracks how many days you've read the Bible this year. It's so simple. You can do something if you will just make the choice to do that. Now, what happens if you skip a day? When you're, when you're gonna, cause many of you are gonna say, man, I wanna have, I wanna read the Bible every day. And some of you are gonna say, oh, the Bible just is, isn't very real to me. It's dry. Well, get a different translation. Get the U version of the Bible. Go online. There are online Bibles that you can get for free. It's very simple, but you gotta have some type of plan. What happens though if you miss a day? You stop reading altogether. You just quit for the year. Not really. If you miss a meal, do you quit eating for the year? No. Of course not. Here's the thing. Don't let one day or two days become a month. Because I heard this saying years ago, and this is true. I want you to to think about this and apply it this week. If you have your time, if you miss your time with God one day, God knows it. 
If you miss two consecutive days, your time with God, you know it because there's something not right about you. You miss three consecutive days, your time with God, everyone else knows it because you are different. You need God to be nice, right? So do I. Because we're normal and because we have an enemy that wants to destroy relationships. So the first day, first of the day, what are we going to do? We're going to seek God. First of the day, what are we going to do? Seek God. Second, first of the week, worship. Worship needs to be a habit. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. And then the next verse says, Paul was preaching to them. So the first day of the week is what day? Sunday. Now, in the Old Testament, we know about a Sabbath, right? But we don't celebrate the Sabbath. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on Sunday morning, all of his followers began to celebrate and worship on Sunday morning to... Uh, to commemorate the fact that Jesus is no longer in the grave. We still are supposed to, in God's eyes, we're supposed to have a day of the week where we don't work, where we worship together um, with our families, and so we do that on Sundays. Now, did you know in America, 48% of people who say they are regular churchgoers go once a month or less? Now, I just got a, a question. Is there any other activity that you know of where you do it once a month and you would say you're regular at that? I exercise once a month. I'm a stud athlete. No. I am romantically, romantically chasing my wife one time a month. Man, am I a stud romantic dude. You think she'd believe that, ladies? Once a, month, once a month your man does some romance. And I'm not talking about sex. I just mean romance. You're going, no, buddy, that's not even enough. Right? I think that if, if there are four Sundays in a month and you come once a month, that's 25%. This, this January, we have five Sundays, so you're down to 20%. Is there anything else where if you do it 20% a month, you're considered regular at it? I think you at least ought to get up to 70%, you know, passing grade in the public schools where before you can consider yourself regular. So I think if you're going to be a regular attender of worship, three out of four Sundays is realistic, Right? I'm, yeah, the, the other staff member, one staff member. What, what's up with that, Wes? Oh, thank you. Okay, it's unanimous. The staff members believe you should be here more than once a month. If you've been spiritually apathetic or spiritually inconsistent this last year, my guess is your attitude towards worship is it has not been in your top ten. The, the football god reigns during the fall. And maybe you worship the Cowboys or a better team. I mean, come on, you're disappointed if you're worshiping the Cowboys. And I know they have a chance to win tonight, but every expert on the planet outside of Texas is choosing the Giants tonight. So if you're worshiping the Cowboys, you better pick another team, right? Or, thank you, or, or our kids are in sports. Man, I've never seen a society that worships kids' sports like we do. It's crazy. And, and if you look at, the, at our top ten list, at the very top is our kids' sports. And we go crazy with our time. We're going to talk about, we're starting a new series next week called Weird. And we're going to look at several, six weeks of weirdness. Not odd for God, not that, just being different. Because we want to be weird because normal isn't working. We're starting that next week. We are trying to be just like other people. And it's no wonder we're running crazy and, and we're putting everything else above God except God. It's no wonder that we feel that we are far from Him. The fact that you 
are here today, that you made this a priority, you're going to be a little bit different this week. You're going to be a little bit different when you leave today because you're going to be fed the Word of God. You're going to have worship. You, you made singing a priority. And just imagine if you did that over the next 51 weeks. Not 52 because we take the last Sunday of the, the year off and, and we had some people show up last week and they said that as they were driving, they thought, is this the Sunday that we don't have church? And sure enough, they came in the parking lot and they're like, yep, this is the Sunday that we don't have church. 51 weeks out of the year. If, if worship were a priority for you for the next 51 weeks, do you think you would be a little bit different spiritually next year than you are right now? Sure, you couldn't help but be that. Now, look at uh, Hebrews 10.25. Some people have gotten out of the habit of meeting for worship, but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since we know that the day of the Lord's coming is near. My kids don't do sports on weekends, on, on Sundays or on Wednesdays. My girls are the two highest rated gymnasts in our gym. But we don't go on Wednesday nights and, and everybody else goes on Wednesday nights. I don't care what everyone else does. You know why my girls don't do gymnastics on Wednesday nights? Because Impact Student Ministries is here and that's more important. I take one Sunday a year off for gymnastics because the state meet, we never know if they're going to compete on Saturday or Sunday. And so one Sunday a year, I take a Sunday off and I go with my girls because I want to be with them at the state meet. But even then, you know what we do? We go to church. This last year, we went to a place in Arlington called Church on Rush Creek because it's important for my family to worship together. Even when we're not here, I want my family worshiping because that is the highest priority. I'm not going to let something else become a higher priority in my family. Worship matters. And you need to make that a priority if you're going to be a little bit different this next year. And you know, honestly, how hard is it to get to new life? We start at 11. We finish at 12. You know what else we do? We, we make copies of the services. The music and the, and the preaching. And so we, we make those. If you request it, we'll give you one of those. We put it online. So if you haven't listened to a sermon or if you haven't participated on, on, in one week, it's because you chose not to. We make it as easy as possible for you to have an experience with God and be fed. But if you don't choose to do it, there's nothing we can do. We're not going to force it down your throat. Sometimes we'd like to. But we're not going to do that. You've got to make that choice if you want to grow spiritually. And I just got to tell you that sometime in the next year, we're planning to go to two worship services. Because, you can't tell it right now, but on a normal Sunday, our children's area is packed to overflowing. And if we're going to continue to grow, we've said from the beginning that we want to reach people who are far from God. As long as there's someone who's far from God that's within driving distance of new life, we want to have a place for them. And so some of you are going to have to get off of your butts and serve. We're going to have to duplicate the number of, ch of children's workers we have back there. We're going to have to duplicate that so that we can have two services, so that we can continue to reach people who are far from God. And that means it doesn't matter if, if you say, oh, well, I need to sit in worship. Yes, you do. Guess what? We're going to have two worship services, so you serve one and you sit one. I'll have to be here twice as long. Oh, my goodness. That's going to be bad for you, that you would serve the kingdom of God and be fed from the word of God. That's pretty rough on a Sunday morning. How dare we ask anybody to do anything inconvenient? Yeah, this is personal to me. Third, first of the month, tithe. 
Oh, crud. Janie and I determined a long time ago that we were going to tithe 10%, at least 10% of everything that comes in. So the salary that I get from the church, 10% of that comes right back. Um, but we don't do that just with this salary. Anything we get, bonuses, we give 10%. Caleb and I mow lawns on, on the side, and, and 10% of that goes back into the church. I even have a percentage that I take off the top of, of what we get paid, and that goes for maintenance and repairs and, and future buying new equipment, stuff like that. 10% of that goes back to the church because I believe that God said you're supposed to give 10% to the church. And, and so, you know, I've had people say, well, well, why would anyone in their right mind give 10% of the church? And my question is, why would anyone in their right mind not give 10% to the bride of Christ? Because he died for this. He died to establish this. And I don't understand it. Let me show you. Old Testament and New Testament. Leviticus 2730. 10% of everything you harvest is... What's that next word? 10% of everything you harvest is... Y'all are catching on. And belongs to me, whether it grows in your fields or on your fruit trees. 10%, we call this a tithe. T-I-T-H-E is what it just means, 10%. Now, when you do a study, I dare you to do a study of the word holy in the Bible. When it says that something is holy to the Lord, it means it is set apart and you do not touch it. Whenever the children of Israel were going into the promised land, they go into Jericho, they win Jericho, woohoo! And God says, don't you dare touch anything in Jericho. It all belongs to me, destroy it all. One of the guys, Achan, took some stuff, hid it. Then they go to this little bitty town next, Ai. And they said, oh, just send a few people to take Ai because it's such a small town. They go to Ai with just a few people in Ai, this little bitty Elkhart-sized town. They come out and they whip the Israelites and they go running back and they say, oh God, oh God, you, you failed us. And God says, there is sin in the camp because you touched something that belonged to me. He said, and he says to Joshua, get up off your face, do what is right, and then I will bless you. And Joshua's like, what's right? He said, find the one who dared to touch something that was holy, dedicated to me. Now, this is Old Testament. And this causes more fights in churches than anything else I know of. Been in churches a long time. And really, people just don't want to give. And that's why it causes fights. And a lot of people will say, well, that's just Old Testament anyway. Yes, I know it says tithe in the Old Testament. I know it's there over and over and over again. Guess what? Jesus said it. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus is hammering the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones who pretended they would have these, these righteous-sounding arguments to, to really to hide their greed, to really to hide the condition of their hearts. Look what Jesus says to them. Hypocrites. I mean, he calls them hypocrites. He calls them whitewashed tombs. He calls them snakes, you vipers, because you say one thing and do another. And look what he says. Hypocrites, you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And what does Jesus say next? Crud! It's in the New Testament too! The founder of Christianity said you should tithe, but look what he says. You should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. So he's saying tithing is a basic. 10% is the starting point of followers of Christ. He said, that's just the bottom line. Tithe and then do some other stuff. And he is hammering these guys because they really wanted to hide their greed. Jesus said, you should tithe, but you should do some other stuff. And I've heard all kinds of spiritual sounding arguments, spiritual sounding excuses that really are hiding greed. Uh, well, I tithe my time. Awesome. Jesus is talking about money. You should tithe your time, but you should also give a 10% of your money. 
Oh, well, I tithe my talents. Awesome! You should give your talents. But Jesus is talking about money. And he said, you should give 10% of your money. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven, hell, faith, or prayer combined. Why do you think he did that? Because we are some greedy suckers. And really, when it comes down to it, bottom line, whether you tithe or not shows the condition of your heart towards God. Have you ever considered that your uh, finances are jacked up because you had not put God first in your finances? I mean, it's, it's real simple. God says, do it this way. And he says, if you do it this way, I'll be involved in your finances. If you do it any other way, I will not be involved in your finances. So which do you want? God to be involved in your finances or not? I, I choose God because for 10 years we've been in this church. And for 10 years we have done things that no other church I've ever been in has been able to do. Because God blesses a church that's obedient. And I've told people for years, I would, I would take the percentage of tithers in this church and put it up against any other church that I know of that I've been a part of. There are more tithers in this little church percentage-wise than any church I've been a part of. But that's not enough. Because not everybody who claims to be a follower of Christ is doing what Christ asks them to do. And, you know, if you, if you really want to know God's heart on this, I know it's Old Testament, but just because we're under grace and not under law doesn't mean you get to throw out the Old Testament. There's a whole lot of... This is all God's Word. There's two Testaments, and it all belongs to God. Go read Malachi 3, 8 through 10. If you want to know God's heart on whether you're supposed to give or not, read Malachi 3, 8 through 10. All right, fourth thing. Fourth, first. And this is something we've never done as a church, and this year we're going to do it. Fast. Has nothing to do with your tennis shoes. What is a fast? It is a biblical principle. Fasting is a biblical principle where you give up food for a spiritual purpose. You give up food. You deny yourself physically for a spiritual purpose. Now, I've, I've, in the Bible, there's one-day fast, there's three-day fast, there's seven-day fast, there's a 10-day fast, and there's at least three 40-day fasts. Um, and I've heard of all kinds of different fasts. Janie and I, at different times, before we had children, we would fast from chocolate for a month. Just, you know, to say, God, you're more important to us than chocolate. And that's a big deal in my house. And, and we would, sometimes we'd fa- uh, fast from desserts or, or candy or whatever. But, but there are also times that we have fasted for different things. And by fasting, I mean we gave up food for, for a certain amount of time. Um, for a long time during, uh, while our kids were little, we would do one fast a month and sometimes pray for our kids just during that fast. Sometimes we do one day a week where we would fast and pray for our children or pray for our church or pray for direction in our family. Um, and, and really what a fast is, is denying something physical so that you can focus on the spiritual. Now, don't tell me you're going to fast from exercising if you haven't exercised in a decade. That's not really a fast, okay? That's not costing you anything. The biblical principle is don't offer anything to God that costs you nothing. So if you're interested in doing a fast on the 22nd of this month, so that's three weeks from today, I'm gonna, the next two weeks I'm going to have some, some sheets of paper out there, and I'm not suggesting everybody do this. Fasting is not some magical thing or some, some voodoo thing where if you do this, then God is obligated to bless you. Fasting, I've just got to tell you, Fasting will focus your attention on God like nothing I've ever known. And what what you're going to do is you're going to declare how long you're going to fast. You're going to declare the purpose. There's all kinds of reasons to fast. But first of all, let me read you Joel 1.14. I'll give you some reasons to fast. Announce a time of fasting. 
Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people to the land into the temple, people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God, and cry out to him there. So January 2nd, we are called, January 22nd, we're calling a fast. I'm going to call a time of prayer for our church. And, and let me just give you some, some reasons to fast. If your marriage is in trouble, I would suggest you fast. And you declare to God, I'm going to fast for these min- this many days. I'm going to do this type of fast. And the spiritual purpose is so that God, you will save my marriage or bless my marriage or show me what needs to happen. You can fast for financial resources. You can fast for the church. You can fast for someone who does not know God. You can fast on... Uh, in, in fact, years ago, there was a young lady in my youth group um, that was really struggling sexually. And she was messed up sexually. And, and her parents began to fast that God would deliver her from that. And it, and it eventually happened. It was a crazy thing how God eventually delivered her. Now she's living this incredible life. And she has children. She's married, serving in the kingdom of God. I trace it back to when they began to get so serious about their daughter's spiritual life. And her actually her physical life as well. That they began to fast for her. And they cried out to God. And they said, God, the whole reason we're doing this is for you to save our daughter. Intervene because our daughter's messed up. So there's all kinds of reasons to fast. But that's Old Testament. Joel, look what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 17 and 18. But when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus assumed his followers would take the kingdom of God so so seriously that they would fast. He didn't say if, he said when you fast. And he said, do this. He said, put oil on your head. Well, I put baby oil on my head just because, you know, it chafes and, you know, I don't want you to see that and I want it to be shiny. Um, But that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, don't draw attention to yourself when you fast. Because the Pharisees, you know the only time Jesus ever said, you're doing the right thing was those verses I just read to you. He said, you're tithing, that's good, but you do this. It's the only time Jesus said, what you Pharisees are doing is right. When they fasted, they would let everybody know, I'm weary because I haven't eaten in days. I'm so spiritual. And God says, if you do it to be seen by other human beings, that is your reward. I won't be involved in that process. So when you fast, it's okay to let some people know. It's okay to let your family know that you are fasting. But you don't do it because they need to know. If you go to lunch with somebody, you don't say, I'm not hungry today. As your stomach is going, I did a seven-day fast one time where I just totally did without everything except juice for seven days. I lost like 30 pounds. That wasn't the reason I did it. And I'm not suggesting you do that. That's, that's not a good way because you're going to gain it right back because you're going to start eating after seven days. But, um, but you don't tell people, oh, I'm just not hungry today. You just say, no, I'm not eating right now. I mean, it's real simple. You don't have to lie and, and put on all that stuff. You just say, I'm not going to eat. Now, what I'm going to do this year, I've never done a fast like this. I'm going to do a 21-day Daniel fast. The Daniel fast, if you want to read about this, and I'll have some stuff out the next two weeks about it, is in Daniel chapter 1, there's a 10-day fast where he has only vegetables and water. And then there's a 21-day fast when he was seeking God because he'd seen this incredible vision about what was going to happen to the children of Israel. And he said, I need to know what this is. So he began to fast for 21 days. And he had nothing but fruits and vegetables and water. And, and we know as the, if in your Bible it may say that he had only vegetables, but the actual root word means anything that was planted in the ground. 
And so that's fruits and vegetables. We're going to have some guidelines. If you want to do that, we would encourage you to do that. I'm hoping at least 10 people do that. Maybe I'll be blown away and we'll have more than that. But you can do a one-day fast. You can do a three or a seven or a 10 or a 21-day. But we're going to pray that God would make this year a better year for new life than ever before. This is our, June is our 10-year anniversary. And man, I have loved every minute of, of pastoring this church. But God's not done with this church. I want His vision, His provision for the next 10 years. And so we're starting out 2012. We're going to do this fast. And if you're going to be involved in small groups on Sunday nights, starting the 22nd, we're going to be doing a, a, a small group on fasting. Someone is calling me. Wow. Turn that off. Well, dude, it, it's my pastor friend. He must have had a short sermon today. Um, it's not even noon. So we're going to have a small group starting the 22nd, six weeks where we learn how to pray. We learn how to discover God's voice. We learn how to discover God's will. He's not hiding from you. But I'm willing to bet you haven't sought His kingdom more than anything else. You don't have to fast to be a part of that. But if you're willing to do that, I want you to be praying over the next couple of weeks about whether God wants you to fast, how long He wants you to fast, and what He wants you to fast about. And we're not going to stand up and give our... Fasting testimonies, we're not going to do that. But at some point, it may be appropriate for God to share the answer to your prayers. Anytime I've fasted and sought God, number one, with my attitude, He has done miraculous things in my life. So, if you want 2012 to be different than 2011, don't do the same things you did. It's real simple. If you want what you had last year, spiritually, do what you did. But if you want something that you've never had, you have to do something that you've never done. And so what I want you to do is bow your heads for just a moment. And I want to ask you, of these four areas, first of the day, seek God. First of the week, worship. First of the month, tithe. First of the year, fast. Which of those things do you think God wants you to be involved in this year? Now, if you're one of those people that raised your hands that you were inconsistent or apathetic this last year, do you think your Heavenly Father was pleased with that? Is that His goal for you? No. He wants something more. So on this first day of 2012, I want you to declare to God, God, this is what I feel you leading me to do this year spiritually. One of those four areas. Tell him. And here's God's promise. Seek the kingdom of God first and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Father, it's my prayer that that the people here would be different one year from now than they are today. There's going to be some people that are here today that may not be on this planet next year. It's my prayer that they'll have done business with you so that they could spend eternity in heaven. Some people are going to fall away from you, God, because they are going to be attacked relentlessly from our enemy. 
It's my prayer that you defeat the enemy, Lord, that you render him powerless against your children and that you give us wisdom to recognize when he's attacking us. Show us what we're supposed to do, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, on the back of your listening guide, there is something called Talk It Over. There's just some questions. One of the best things you can do for your spiritual life is talk to other people about what you're learning. So there's just a few questions there. Um, I want you to write on the back of your registration card whatever area it is you feel that, that you're resisting right now most of those four areas. First of the day, seek God. First of the week, worship. First of the month, tithe. First of the year, fast. Whatever area it is that you are resisting the most, that's probably what God wants you to do. So I want you to write down what it is you are committing to do over this next 365 days. On the back of your registration card, write down what is it. What are you going to commit to doing? And then I'm going to challenge you to do that for the next 30 days. It takes at least 30 days to develop a habit. So write that down. And then in a couple of weeks, we'll give you an opportunity um, to, to join us in a fast, and we'll tell you how to do that and give you some instructions on that.